This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, I am joined by Associate Director of Compliance with Notre Dame Athletics, Jeff Perry. In his role, Jeff is responsible for overseeing financial aid and benefits for Notre Dame student-athletes. In this episode, he discusses how he works within the NCAA rules to provide student-athletes with the best experience at Notre Dame. He also discusses working with coaches in a highly competitive environment, his game day responsibilities as a compliance director, and gives students advice for breaking into sports. I hope you enjoy the show. So joining us today is Jeff Perry. He is the uh, Associate Director of Compliance at the University of Notre Dame, just down the road from us here at Trine. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Happy to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here. Um, My four-year-old son, who's obsessed with Notre Dame, thinks dad is really cool that I have you on the show this this morning, so I appreciate that. Um, But, you know, I really want to talk about you and um, what you're doing at Notre Dame. So, the way I like to start this off is tell us, tell me about your background and, and what led you to, to South Bend. Yeah. So I guess I'll go back to my undergrad. Um, I always had the goal of, you know, getting into sports. And so I thought I was going to be a sports ju- uh, journalist. And so I started kind of going down that path. And then I discovered that kind of how you have to write as a journalist was you know kind of boring. So I pivoted <laughs> and changed my um, degree to advertising and that was kind of a more you know creative w- way of uh, writing and that was enjoyable but I I didn't know how I was going to get into sports and so I thought well there's got to be a different you know path on what I could do that as a, a career and so I thought well a good spot to hop into a company or a team would be as an attorney so I said okay I'll go to law school right so I, I did that and my my entire you know uh, goal was you know to go there and then to you know um, hop in as like a general counsel you know down the road of like you know the dolphins or whoever and so that was kind of all I was all about was okay it's got to be you know pro sports and that's all that counts right yeah. um, and then I got there and I started talking to some people who were in the college and they said well you might you know chew on the idea of going into compliance is kind of a natural, you know, route. You get a JD and then you kind of go down, you know, that. And I was like, oh, I don't know, that sounds kind of boring, blah, blah, blah. But I thought I would give it a shot, right, just to, you know, test it out. And I enjoyed it. Um, I got a, a chance to be a, a, a compliance intern my first summer of law school. And I enjoyed it. And I thought if I enjoy it as, you know, that type of a spot, then I would enjoy it as a paid, you know, job. Um, and so then I I totally pivoted after that from, you know, pro sports have to be an attorney to not going to take, you know, the bar and not going to, you know, practice law, you know, per se and go into you know, college compliance. And so after that, I got the chance to do an extern opportunity at the NCAA, my last term of uh, law school. And then that led to a, a part-time job at ODU. And then I got a full-time job at Berman, sorry, hardly F's. And then um, 
I was able to get the job here recently at Notre Dame. So that's kind of the, the you know the path, kind of a you know windy you know journey, but you know get, yeah, that's how it turned out. Well, I love that because we we hear this from students all the time. They come into undergrad, and I think you know this is what I'm going to do, and this is where I'm go. And then, like you said, you know they pivot and find something that they're just as passionate about. They may not even have known was available to them. So, what is compliance? Because I think when a lot of people think about it in college, it's like, okay, we just follow the rules, but it's so, I mean, there's just like so many different avenues in compliance. Like I know you're working with a couple um, different things in compliance at Mm -hmm. at Notre Dame, you know, whether it be Mm -hmm. rules or financial aid or anything else. So what's that look like at the, at that kind of D1 level? Yeah. So at the D1, you know, typically there's like small offices and, you know, big offices, right? So our office here, there's seven people. And so, each of us have our different, you know, areas of expertise. If you want to, you know, talk about it you know, that way, all of us, you know, do some, you know, general compliance of our, you know, different teams. But like we each kind of take our our spots, right? So mine is scholarships and benefits and that type of thing. And um, we have somebody else that does, you know, the, you know, grades and and the progress towards you know degree and staying eligible that way. Um, we have someone who kind of does the NIL stuff and kind of, you know, concerns themselves with that, that area. We have somebody else, right. That kind of takes care of the big, you know, picture aspects. We have somebody else that does, you know, the practice monitoring. And anyway, so we all kind of take a different, you you, you know, piece at a smaller school. If you have like one or two officers, then it's, you know, typically there's a day-to-day person that kind of does all this stuff that comes up on a day-to-day basis. And then kind of a more big picture person that kind of takes care of, you know, the heavier things that come up are the things that might have to have more experience on. But as far as like compliance overall, right, like there are the you know, rules and that's you know, part of it. That's a big part of it. But it's a lot, a lot of like trying to solve you know, problems, trying to help, you know, student athletes and, you know, coaches get from you know, point A to point uh, B. There's all these, you know, rules and bylaws in between, but like, how do we get around those or, 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 you know, you use those to help us get to where they're trying you know, to get to. So there's a lot of education that goes on. There's a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of, you know, consulting. It's not just, hey, you can't, you can't, you, you do this. I would say it's a lot more about creative um, you know, problem solving than it is like, oh, no, yes, and that's it. You know, that's a great way to put it. I was an athletic director at an NAIA school, so a lot fewer rules than what you're dealing with at, at D1. Even even here at trying to D3, the rule book is about 300 some odd pages. Um, but I felt that that took up a, an extraordinary amount of time is compliance because you're right. Every student athlete is unique. They're coming from different backgrounds. Maybe they got transfer credits or they've had some type of hardship and, and you're trying to work within the framework of those rules you know, you don't ever want to break them, but how can we use these to best help that right. that student athlete? So, um, you know, this may be too broad of a question. But so if you just want to take it from like your standpoint of what you do it there at Notre Dame, like how does your work kind of specifically impact student athletes? And I think in like a more you know, broad um, view, right? Like all the stuff that the, you know, casual, you know, you, you, or the you know the fan watches on TV, right? Like they they get the end you know, product. They get you know the coaches and the players out there, and they're like, oh, it's great. But there's a lot that goes on you know behind yep. the scenes, right? And so I think that's that's kind of what 
you know, compliance does is, is it, it's all the stuff that goes on on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday that you don't hopefully hear about, <laughs> right? Um, that's like, oh, hey, this thing you know, came up, they accidentally you know, you know, did this. Can they still, you know, play on, you know, the weekend? Yes, because of this reason, this reason, and we'll take care of this, 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 and this. You don't hear about that, but if that didn't happen during, you know, the week, you wouldn't have a you know, game or have, you know, the players, you know, to watch on the weekend. So I think that's kind of the broad, you know, way of like, you know, all the all the ducks have to be in you know, the row or else these you know, players aren't going to play. Um, my role specifically has to do with you know, aid and benefits, and that can get you know, kind of hairy in this NIL era, right? Um, yeah. But college kids, right, they still, they want to know, like, how are they going to you know, pay their rent? How are they going to pay for textbooks? How are they going to pay for, you know, their meals and stuff? So I, I take care of those things. I talk to their, you know, um, you know, to the campus partners that talk about, you know, housing and meal plans and all that jazz. So um, that's kind of what I do is I take care of all the stuff that humans and just normal college kids have to be taken care of, like housing and food, right? Um, and if those things are kind of taken care of, then they can take their time to worry about going to school and playing and they don't have to worry about oh is my rent being paid is my you know tuition up to date blah 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 so i like that i can kind of take that off their plate you know i think it's so interesting now as a as a faculty member for the past seven years i'm so siloed in what it is that i do um working in athletics and if students are listening to this and, and i'm sure you could probably speak to this really well you have to be able to work with so many different departments on campus. Like I, I can't tell you how many hours, again, when I was a coach in an AD, how many hours I sat in the, uh, in the hall or in the office of the resident advisor or the, the dorm advisor, like trying to figure out just where they're going to live, like where rooms are going to be in, and just trying to keep them together and just trying to nurture those relationships. So like how important is that for somebody like in your role or in the athletic department to be able to kind of cut through those silos and have those good interpersonal skills to develop those relationships, to, to bring out the best possible result for student athletes? I think that's you know, pretty key that if you want to be in compliance or just, you know, college athletics as a whole, like you've got to, you know, develop those skills, right? That's you know, part of what I like, you know, compliance is, is because you do touch every, you know, campus partner or every part of the department, right? Like you are talking to housing, you're talking to academics, you're talking to, you know, the mill hall, you're talking to, you know, game off, you're talking to, you know, donors, like you have an opportunity to talk to just about every who, you know, campus partner that, that they're, that they have. And so that's a great opportunity to build relationships, right? Relationships are how things, you know, get done. Obviously there's those, you know, times where you've got to get this in and, you know, it's urgent or whatever. That's when those relationships, you know, kick in, but those are built when things aren't urgent and you have time to just, Hey, let's work together, solve this, you know, not, urgent you know, problem, but kind of a long-term, you know, change in policy or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it's very, 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 you know, key that you have those skills and you, that you have that mindset of like, it's not just the compliance office trying to get things done, but all of our partners and all of the department is, you know, as a whole. And, and I got to imagine it's kind of like a, kind of a tight wire act that you, that you do maybe every day, because there's rules that you can't get around. And sometimes, student athlete can't play or, you know, some other type of negative thing and you're doing everything you can to help them, but, you know, rules are rules. So like, how do you navigate that and, you know, still kind of have that trust of the coaches where, okay, 
you know, I, I'm going to do everything I can to help you. And I'm trying to build up trust and, and know I'm working in their best benefit. But we're up against this thing here. I know it's going to make you upset. How do we come to the best conclusion yeah. possible? Is there a way to kind of maybe develop those relationships where yeah. the coaches might not be happy, but they understand like, okay, you're doing what you can in the best interest of the student. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's the million dollar you know question, right? It's like, right. how do you do that? Because those opportunities you know, come, right? I promise you that they'll come, that there'll be some <laughs> type of a mistake either by myself or the coach or the athlete or whatever. And there are times that you have to have those tough conversations, right? But so I have, you know, two young, you know, kids. There's times that I have to tell them, you know, to you know, go to bed or you know, whatever, like I have those hard conversations too, right? So it's it's kind of like that, you know, not to compare, you know, coaches, you know, to toddlers or whatever, but like right. you know, <laughs> over time, right? Like as long as you're doing right by your coaches and your student athletes, like over time, like it's always just a a drop in the bucket, right? So like over time, you're doing right, you're giving them the right interpretation, you're telling them the right, you know, rules. If you have to have a hard, you know, chat, then you can because they know that you're, you know, you're daily kind of adding, you know, to that bucket. If you're non-responsive, if you're just kind of, you know, ghosting them, if you're not, mm -hmm. you know, give them, you know, the wrong answer, hopefully that, you know, never happens, but you know, it, it might, um, then the, that's when those hard, you know, chats, you know, are, even harder because then they don't, you know, trust you or they just say, thanks, I'm going to do it how I want. Right. So I think it's just over time, you know, definitely just, you know, do it right. Like have a hard chat. You got to do it, but kind of going back to what you talked about, right. It can be kind of a tight wire act. And I think it's that, you know, balance of like staying true to, you know, the rules, but also trying to be, you know, creative. And if there is some you know, gray, area obviously not going you know too far not trying to push the envelope you know too right. far but right. if there is some way to be you know creative i think coaches appreciate that so i mean again got to have the hard skills but this is the second time you've talked about you know the interpersonal skills being so important so you know kind of developing a, a theme sure. there um i want to go back to something that you talked about a little bit earlier with with nil and i think it's really it's been a game changer in a, in a lot of good ways and maybe some unintentional consequence type of ways as well in college athletics. So how has the compliance job, and I know you're still early in your career, but I think you've been around before NIL, just how has your, the job in compliance changed since the NCAA has, you know, allowed students to profit off their, their name, image, and likeness? From what I've witnessed, it kind of makes today's compliance officer have to be have a little bit more of an adaptability mm -hmm. skill set right um i've talked to those who have kind of you've been in this industry for a long time and they've told me that like in the past it's been like a decade or more of like kind of constant you know rules and that as long as you kind of got you know good at the rule book then that was kind of half of the battle and you just kind of you know, go on but now in the past, you know, two or three years, it's, they've never had this type of, you know, you know, turnover in terms of like rules and just kind of all the different, you know, you know all these changes. And so I think that speaks to like, you, you've got to have that flexibility, you know, you've got to have some adaptability, you've got to you'll be able to kind of give answers when you don't know, you know, that there's a, you know, decade long of, you know, precedent to say, oh, here's what this school did in this situation, like, when all this came down and it just kind of started, 
There were, you know, basic guidelines from the NCAA, but they were just very, very, you know, basic. Yep. And so it was kind of like, well, we can't say like this school did this in 1982 you know, and this school did this in 2000 and whatever. It was like, here's the guidelines. Here's kind of the, you know, the values that we have as a school. Here's kind of the, you know, principles that we have as a compliance office. How do we get you, you know, the best answer with not all of the you know, guidelines that, that, that we hope, right? So I definitely think that, you know, today you've got to be a little bit, little bit more adaptive and kind of you know, proactive rather than just, hey, I'll get the book and kind of go over it, have it down and then skate. Yeah, I think that's what I found so much because I know, you know, they're trying to kind of hem the rules in a little bit now, but once the Pandora's box was open, it's open. And it was yeah. hard to get a lot of that back. So yeah, you know, God bless you. I wish I could give you some advice or maybe guidance on that, but okay. uh, you know, good good luck kind of going forward on that. So compliance is, again, it's kind of a specialized area and there's some areas that have a lot more kind of maybe touch points on game days with things, with athletes, you know, from your position there in compliance, do you have game day responsibilities or, or you have like oversight of a team? How does that work at, at a place like Notre Dame? Game day stuff is kind of taken care of with, you know, ticketing and you know, game ops and all that jazz. Yep. The one role that we you know, do have is with um, football games. We always have some, you know, compliance officers there to help with just, you know, prospects, you know, coming in, um, okay. just kind of making sure that they're not, you know, talking to, you know, who they can't or whatever, right? Okay. If there's like a, you know. Notre Dame is a high, you know, profile school and we play other high profile schools. And so there's times that there might be like a, you know, booster or a celebrity that, you know, is down on, you know, the sideline. And so there's different, you know, rules about, you know, talking you know, to those type of folks. So that's probably the gist of it. And then just trying to like help out, you know, ticketing if they have any, you know, last, you know, day of type of questions. But other than that, it's usually just, you know, go to games and like, you know, if things you know, pop up or if we notice stuff, yeah, that's fine. But if not, then just kind of, you know, have a good game day. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wild job duty responsibility would be like, okay, keep celebrities from the players. Now I'm oversimplifying <laughs> it, but it's just kind of, yeah, kind, of a, kind of a cool thing there. I, I did want to talk. So, you know, you do have your, your JD, you, you went to law school to at the University of Florida. Do you have to have a law degree to work in compliance? Because as I look at you know, D1 universities and kind of looking at their staff directories. It seems like a lot of people do go that route where they go to law school before working in compliance. And I'm sure that helps a ton. Just, you know, as students are listening to this, if this is a career out what they want, is that something that they need to do or are, are there other paths? They don't have to. It's it's common, right? Okay. Like, there's a lot of, you know, I would say, you know, it's either you get a JD or you have like some type of a uh, relevant masters like a sports management or something like that but you definitely don't have to i would say it's helpful though right like it will open doors that you normally you know couldn't you know, get to or you couldn't get to as quickly right so like in my you know, current job when i was here on the on campus interview they they told me that i was not the most experienced in candidate but the fact that i had a jd gave them confidence that i could you know kind of hop in and just kind of you know you know, do what I had to do. And, you know, obviously they you know, gave me the job. So that's what can happen is if you don't have all the experience that they want, they might take a chance on you because you have a JD or because you have a master's, right? So you don't have to, 
But if you don't, then you should have a lot of experience to kind of offset that. It's very natural to get a JD and, and then go into compliance, as I talked about earlier, because it's just kind of a natural you know, route, right? Because all the things that you are trained to do in law school, you, that's what you're doing in, in you know compliance. Like you're giving interpretations, you're trying to comprehend complicated you know, bylaws, you're trying to take complicated things and then kind of you know dumb it down and talk about it in a very simple you know, way. So um, it's definitely helpful. It's come handy. You know, all the days I've been here, like it, it comes in handy and I you know use it. Um, but it's not a hard yes. You have to have it, and that's helpful because I think the feedback I've always gotten from from people who who have gone to law school is if you're not going to use the degree, don't go. You know, you you might have some students who are a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know what I want to do after school. I want to go get a master's, which which is fine. But you know, it sounds like you actually feel like you're using your degree in your career yeah. career field, even though you're not quote unquote practicing law. Sure. Perfect. Sure. No, that's true. That's true. So how could students get some experience in compliance? Let's say maybe they don't want to go to law school or don't have the money or whatever it is. Is there a way yeah. where they could start even as undergrads just to kind of start to cut their teeth a little bit? Well, I wish I had done is just go and talk to the athletics you know, department. If that's, you know, at a junior college, if it's at you know D1, if it's whatever level and whatever school it is, like go and just volunteer, right? And even if that's like, you know, two hours a week, that's still like you're getting, you know, two hours a week because the name of the game is experience, right? That goes for kind of all of college sports, but specifically in compliance. It's, they don't you know, care about your, you know, your, you know, GPA or whatever. It's all about, do you have relevant experience? So I would say like, you know, go and get an internship if you can, you know, during the year and, and, you know, definitely, you know, during the summer. Um, you know, volunteer, like just kind of, you know, pound down all the doors and get some type of volunteer experience. And if you just can't find anything, then you might have to, you know, create, you know, your own, you can, you know, have a blog or a podcast or whatever, and like talk about the rule changes or talk to those who are in the jobs that you want to be in, right? Like, I think as long as you can, you know, drum up some way of getting actual experience that you can put onto a resume, that's the key. And then you know, by the time that you graduate, you've got one, two, three, four, you know, years or whatever of like saying, hey, I did this, you know, job during, you know, the spring. I did this during fall. I've, you know, volunteered here. I you know, get the vocabulary. I know the jargon. I, I understand actually what you do and I can add some value. I'm, glad, I'm so glad we got somebody at, at your level who said a couple of things that you said. Um, one, volunteering. And I tell my students that all the time, you know, that counts as experience. And that might be the only experience you could yes. get as an undergrad. And then two, creating your own thing, whether it be a, a blog or podcast or whatever. And that's another thing I tell them. Like, you know, when I went to college back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we didn't have stuff like this. Like it was hard to build a portfolio without having an end somewhere. Um, but they've got all these free resources where yes. all of a sudden now I'm a subject matter ac expert, or at least you can position yourself like that. Sure. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's great advice. You know, another thing I wanted to ask you just kind of along these along that line as, yeah. as we wrap things up, 
Um, you know, we I came across you on LinkedIn and, and I see you're really active and you do a fantastic job of putting things out there for students with, hey, here's an opportunity here, an opportunity here. So anybody who follows you can see like all these things mm -hmm. coming up in sport. Um, how important is it for people to, who want to work in sport to be on LinkedIn, to be active and and maybe any any tips that have worked for you? I would say to be on there. Right. That's where, you know, the people are who are going to you know hire you. That might be you know, different for a different industry, right? Um, but for ours, it's LinkedIn is where you know those you know, jobs are going to be posted. That's where the hiring managers are going to be, you know, kind of looking. So I think that that's a great spot, you know, to be honest. If if they don't have a profile, then you know, get one, and I can obviously help them on you know tips or there's others on on there that can um, as well. But um, I think it's very you know key to. To be out there because when you hand in or apply you know to a job they're gonna you know look at your resume and, and then they're gonna go to your linkedin and you yep. know check it's you know that they that they match and if there's anything else on there that would be you know helpful so i think that's a great you know great tool i try to just you get them post relevant content right so over the course of the last i don't know half half you know decade i had to kind of self-teach on like how to do you know, networking or, you know, uh, write a better, you know, cover letter or whatever, how to be, you know, more prepared for job interviews, those type of things just kind of, I had to do it because I didn't know how to do, you know, do those things. And so it was a lot of you know, trial and error, but I kind of discovered how to you know, do those. And then I thought, well, I have all this knowledge and I've you know done it, I've applied it. So I should start to share that. And not everyone has to, you know, post content every day or, but as long as you're active on there and that you're trying to add some you know, value in, you know, the comments or just, you know, connecting with those who you, you know, want to, I think that's more important than saying, oh, you've got to have like all this content on there and have a brand, blah, blah, blah. That could you know, come in time. And if that's what you want to do, that's, you know, that's great. But at the very, very you know, least, you know, get on there. And be active and start to make those you know connections because how you get into this industry is through experience that's hard yep. and connections right so you've yep. got you know you, you've got to build those up at the same time um and if you do then you'll you know have opportunities come okay so for any of my students listening it's not just me saying this right it's from somebody who's in the field networking experience it's important and then yeah. um you've had some great stories about interviews as well any um, interviewing advice that you would give? Because uh, I'm sorry, I glossed over one thing. You did say, you know, when you send in your resume, people are going to be looking at your social media. So it's important that it's it's complete, it's right, it it matches with what your resume yep. says. So I didn't want to gloss over that. But um, once you get that interview, any uh, tips you would give as, as someone who I'm sure has, has probably sat through a, a lot of interview committees? Um, I would say it's really key to be genuine right so it's not an act it's not a script it's just about can you convey can you articulate like your story and your narrative right i think a lot of you know people they probably overcomplicate it right but when i have a job you know coming up i just i do that over and over and over again i just i rep like what is my experience and then how do i tell the story story of how that is going to tie you know, to this you know, job. And you just kind of you know, do that over and over and over again until it's just like that. And you can just tell it to whoever at the drop of a hat. And if you know your story and if you know how you add you know, uh, your value that well, then once you get into an 
interview and they ask a question that you didn't think they were going to ask, that's okay because you know your story, you know your narrative, you know what value that you add because of this this type of experience that you have or this skill set that you've you know, developed. So I would say to be very, very good at that, of like understanding who you are, what your story is, and then how to connect that with relevant examples of your past experience to how that's going to translate to this you know, new job. Um, the other thing I would also say is probably just going back you know, to that that you know genuine aspect, right? J- just be who you are. It's okay that you're you know just you graduated. It's okay that you've you know, changed you know from being a you know this other job for you know twenty years or whatever. Like that's okay. Just own it and be genuine. And I think that's half the battle. I love it. It's great advice. And this is Jeff Perry, Associate Director of Compliance and the Authority on Networking and Job Interviews. So you can look him up there on LinkedIn, uh, Jeff. Thank you for your time and thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. I have fun. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check out our next episode on December 1st as we talk with veteran sports radio host and PA announcer Jim Shufflin. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.